This is the Center for Strategic and International Studies Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. Welcome to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. I'm Beverly Kirk here at CSIS in Washington. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk. My guest today is Dana W. White, Assistant to the Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs and Chief Pentagon Spokesperson. Dana, thank you so much for being here. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover. I want to talk to you about DOD's priorities, the National Defense Strategy, and the defense budget. And then I also want to talk to you about the new This Is Your Military initiative that's aimed at helping the public get to know those who serve better. So first, let's just start with priorities. The National Defense Strategy was released recently, and it outlined a shift. This got a lot of attention. It outlined a shift from a focus on terrorism back to what's called the great power competition, specifically with China and Russia. So Would you say that's DOD's biggest priority? Well, the Secretary's priorities are threefold. One, it's increasing the lethality of our force. And number two, it's strengthening our alliances and building new partnerships. And number three, it's reforming the way we do business. The Secretary laid out the National Defense Strategy as a blueprint for how we're budgeting over the next four years. So this is a strategy-driven budget. Um, When you think about where we've been in terms of the last 17 years of war, it's been focused primarily on counterterrorism. It's also been focused on areas where it's been a fairly permissive environment. So the national defense strategy really focuses us on near-peer competitors, China and Russia. And in order to address those near-term ensuring that we have those capabilities, it requires an investment. So we were happy to see the Congress and the President approve the $700 billion um, FY18 budget, as well as the $716 billion FY19 budget. What that does is that ensures that we restore and rebuild our military. We have to invest in those capabilities. You don't make a pilot overnight. You have to invest in research. You have to invest in development. And so these these two budgets will help us with that moving forward. Um, And long term, we really need stable budgeting because it's the consistency that allows us to also be good stewards of the American people's money. You mentioned the long-term stable budgeting, and that's something that Secretary Mattis has talked about over and over again, that it's really hard to run a military when you're passing continuing resolutions. Uh, Can you talk about what this might mean for overall security policy and the impact that having stable budgets, having the strategy would have on the people who serve in the military? Absolutely. So the Department of Defense is a $2.4 trillion enterprise. And it's important to understand that our reach, we reach communities all over this country. And with the Continuing resolutions, a succession of them. We had been under 10 at, we'd been under for 10 years, um, CRs. And the problem is, is that you don't have any predictability. So you have vendors, you have businesses that are relying on contracts, but you can't sign those contracts because you don't know what you'll have month to month, you know, 
you know, quarter to quarter. And that has an expense. And it also creates uncertainty. And therefore, business owners, um, small businesses can't invest. They don't hire. So when we have stability and we have a full year's budget, then we know what we have. And then we can really leverage the dollar that we have from the American people. DOD is a formidable organization and we can leverage our ability to buy. But we can't do that if we don't know what we have. And one thing that you brought up was the difference between the FY18 and the FY19 numbers. There is an increase in funding uh, that the president requested. Talk a bit about what the extra money uh, will pay for. That extra money will go to the restoring and rebuilding of our capabilities. There's been an erosion. Um, After 17 years of war, there are capabilities that have degraded. And what we need is to ensure that, one, we restore those capabilities. The United States military is ready to fight tonight, but there are capabilities that we need long term to invest in. Because when you're on a continuing resolution, there are things you can't do. You can't increase um, in strength, so the number of people who are in the military. So you're relying on the same population over and over and their families to deploy when you can't grow the force. and that has, that has real implications. That has implications for pilots. That has implications for across the military because you're relying on the same force over and over again. And will the extra money allow the forces to grow for there to be more people recruited in? Absolutely. So with that money and with the FY18, you also have a pay raise for the military. You didn't have that under a continuing resolution. So again, all of those benefits are in full year funding. And so that money will be used for those things, maintenance, um, growing the force, munitions, investment in future capabilities. That's what we need and that's what that money will be used for. Something else I wanna ask about uh, that you mentioned, increasing lethality or I should yes increasing lethality of uh, of the force and that was something that was mentioned in the national defense strategy or NDS as it's called for short. Um, How is that going to work? So with the National Defense Strategy, it's important to understand that Secretary Mattis sees all of his decisions through, does it make us a more lethal force? And so the National Defense Strategy lays out where we're looking in the future. And the future is our priority will be near peer competitors. There are capabilities that are that strategic competitors, Russia and China, are investing in that we need to ensure we maintain our competitive edge. They have both looked for ways and have undercut American leadership around the world um, and seek to change the regional balance, whether you're talking about the South China Sea, whether you're talking about Eastern Europe. We have to think about where do we want to be? And that's what the National Defense Strategy, and that's why that has driven. We developed it concurrently with the FY19 budget. So This is where we're going, and that's how we're budgeting. And the NPR, the Nuclear Posture Review, addresses one of those modernization uh, uh, issues. Uh, Could you speak a little bit more to that? Sure. So the Nuclear Posture Review is really about ensuring that we have a credible nuclear deterrent. Um, It's important that these are always strategic weapons, but we have to be relevant to what is facing us today. And when you look at Russia's stockpile, when you look at what China's doing, 
the United States has to take a new look at how we look at our nuclear posture and what we need to do in the future, not only for ourselves, but it's also it's about our allies and partners. Uh, just to follow up on on that uh, on that particular point, um, the modernization called for the modernization of the nuclear triad, the land based ICBMs, the strategic bombers, the submarine launched ballistic missiles. Are those areas of concern regarding China and Russia? They are areas where we need to stay vigilant because they are investing in those capabilities. And it's important that we maintain our primacy with respect to that. Because in the end, it's about having a credible nuclear deterrent. But you have to ensure that it's credible so that you don't have to use it. As far as we're concerned, it is parallel with nonproliferation and arms control. But both China and Russia are building their capabilities, and it's important that we ensure that our posture remains relevant in the future. And can you talk a little bit about readiness? Uh, we talked about the budget allowing for the growth in forces, but what about readiness? Because that's been an issue that has continually come up as an area of concern. How does the NDS address that? Well, the NDS addresses that because it does lay the course for how we're going to budget in the future. And Readiness goes to the investment. Are you investing in maintenance? Are you investing in growing the force? How are you planning for the future? So the NDS, by talking about, look, these are the capabilities we need in the future with respect to near-peer competitors, then you think about research and development differently. You think about what is your force? What are the capabilities you're going to need in the future? Um, cybersecurity is, is, is very important. Where are you going to find that talent? Those are the things that the NDS lays out, and then we will budget accordingly to deal with and to address those capabilities. Well, I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. I'm Beverly Kirk, and my guest is Dana W. White, Assistant to the Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs and the Chief Pentagon Spokesperson. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Smart Women, and you can follow Dana at Chief Pent Spokes, and I'm going to spell that for everyone so that they can follow you. It's at C-H-I-E-F-P-E-N-T-S-P-O-X. That's an interesting handle. I mean, I know that's a shorter version of your title, but uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a neat way to describe what you do. Well, thanks. Um, it's, you know, Twitter is very, very important, and I, I like to get all the followers I can, so please follow me. And that raises an issue that I want to delve into with you because you are the chief communications person for the Pentagon. The way that we get and receive information has changed dramatically. Lots of people get their information via social media, which is why we're talking about Twitter and Facebook. How do you use that to get the message out, not only about bridging the civilian-military divide, but also information that we just talked about, about the NDS, about the budget numbers, about the NPR, the Nuclear Posture Review. So the way I think about it is, first and foremost, our responsibility is to get out accurate information to the American people, the media, and to Congress. And so I see information across the board. I see social media at media as a part of one media. Um, but media is so integrated now. I mean, you have all of the broadcasts have digital platforms. Everyone has a Twitter feed. So consumers are, have changed the way they actually consume information. And 
we have to be nimble enough to ensure that we provide concise information so that people can share it easily, that they understand it more easily, because the sheer volume of media is overwhelming. And so I have my team and we look at what makes sense? What are what are our priorities? What do the American people need to know? What do we need to tell? What stories do we need to tell about our armed services? Our initiative is This Is Your Military, and you hashtag Know Your Mill, and you can find it on the website knowyourmilitary.osd.mil. Um, right now, 1% of Americans are serving in the military. And that is probably the lowest we've ever had. Um, 99% of Americans have are not currently serving. So fewer Americans actually know anyone. It's become a family industry. And so as an all-volunteer force, it's very important that the American people understand who these incredible individuals are, why they serve, and what they do. Because there are so many challenges facing us, and all of these people come together for a singular goal, and that's to defend this nation. So This Is Your Military is about educating the 99% about exactly who this 1% are. Um, Next month, our feature is jobs. Pretty much any job you can have in civilian life, you can have in the military. Doctors, lawyers, artists, um, communications professionals. And so... This is our initiative in which to show Americans more about who these great Americans are. And how do you fit the DOD message in with the overall message of the administration? Because uh, the president has a prolific Twitter habit and a big Twitter following. Well, it's all about relationships. It goes right back to the basics. Um, It's about having a constant conversation. I'm my team and I, we are often on the, on the phone with the State Department and with the White House and with the NSC to ensure that we're all on the same page. Um, this administration is dedicated to ensuring that America's priorities are protected. And so ensuring that our relationships and that that feedback loop is always going. And that's a lot of sometimes personal relationships. Um, It ensures that we're all on the same page. And do you ever have a challenge of balancing your own voice with the official voice? Or is your Twitter feed just basically all official all the time? My Twitter feed is all official all the time. Um, As a spokesperson and all spokespersons, I believe you're always reflecting your your constituency, who you, I serve the Department of Defense. I serve the more than 2 million people who work for the department 24 seven. It's an honor, it's a privilege, um, but that is is my official and personal uh, perspective at all times. All of the different areas within DOD seem to have Twitter feeds. I know I follow CENTCOM and I think PACOM and uh, the Southern Command. Is it difficult to make sure that that everybody's singing from the same hymn book? It isn't difficult um, because everyone brings a unique perspective and there are details and information that are very, very helpful. Um, But it all goes back to the secretary's top three um, priorities and how do we 
align with that. So how does CENTCOM align and talk about the partnerships, the coalition? How do they talk about how they're increasing lethality? How does TRANSCOM talk about that? about assets and what that means to readiness and restoring and rebuilding capabilities. So it all goes back to those three priorities and syncing in terms of what am I doing to meet the secretary's priorities. And you've worked with some of these commands in your previous life as a Hill staffer on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Um, What was that experience like and how does it how do you bring what you learned there into the job you're doing today? It was an incredible experience. I worked for Senator McCain. Um, That experience allows you to understand what the Hill is looking for. And being a staffer, you understand how information travels very, very quickly, and how your members, and this is very important with respect to the media, sometimes the media will tell your boss something before you know it. So again, the relationship and even allowing people a little heads up to understand, because media moves so quickly, messages move so quickly, people all have iPhones, people are witnesses to everything, and then members are responsible and accountable to their constituents. So that made it very, it makes my job a lot more, a lot easier understanding how such a critical constituency and audience that we have, what they need. Now, in your role currently, you are the person who is providing the information, but also in your background, you were once an editorial writer for the Wall Street Journal based in Hong Kong. So you were one of the people looking for information. There's always a tension between the people who are covering stories and wanting to get information and the people who are in your role who want to, if not control the message, make sure the message that your boss is seeking to promote is the one that's out there in the media. How do you handle that? Do you have insights from your previous life uh, that you bring into the job you're doing now? Absolutely. I think it's very important, first and foremost, to understand that the media plays an essential role in our democracy. And their ability and their access to information is critically important. And so I see my role at the Pentagon as ensuring that they have that information and that the American people have that information. Because after all, we ask a great deal of the American people. Most of all, we ask for their sons and daughters. So it is important that we are always as transparent as we can be about where we're going and what we're doing. I have a healthy respect, um, given my past life, um, for the needs of the media and the need to be as transparent as possible and to provide information. Um, There is a natural tension because particularly at the Department of Defense and at the Pentagon, we are military headquarters. And so I understand what they need. And in what they need is critically important. It's critically important for the American people to know and understand because, after all, we do ask for their sons and daughters. And we and we ask for a great deal of their money. And so the mission of protecting our nation is critically important. Uh, and therefore, we owe the American people, we owe the media as much transparency. And I'm dedicated to that, um, as well as everyone who works for me that we are as transparent with the media, with the public, as well as with Congress. Does the 24-hour news cycle make doing that much harder? It does. From the standpoint of decisions are not made necessarily in 24-hour news cycles. Um, 
And because of the way media is, because it's so fast, and because uh, because they are also responsible to editors who want them to get it first, um, there is more tension and there's more of a challenge because a lot of media is now interested, because you have to feed the 24-hour news cycle, um, in the how, not the what happened, maybe not the five W's, but in well, what could happen, what might happen, what should happen. And for those who don't know, the five W's, the who, what, where, when, and why. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> um, and that's different because for me, once decisions are made, I want to be able to explain those decisions. I want to be able to talk to those decisions. Um, and a lot of the media is currently very focused on the personalities and the conversations and the deliberations. Uh, and for me, my priorities to ensure decision space, that, that our leadership is able to have very candid and frank conversations um, that they feel comfortable having in advance of decisions being made. And as we wrap up here, uh, something else you did uh, before you came to the the Pentagon, uh, you were the CEO of a strategic communications company, worked in the private sector. Are there any uh, are there any things that you bring from the private sector into government that help you do your job? I think the private sector taught me a great deal about how to be nimble and agile. Um, to be able to react uh, and to be flexible. Um, I think that is something that I, I hope I infuse during my tenure into the public affairs arena and how we think about things and how we think creatively about things. Fewer people watch the three networks. There are so many different ways to uh, consume media that we have to be creative about the people we're reaching out to and think about how do I get that person to hear my message. And so as we, as, as my experience has taught me, sometimes you have to think outside of the box. You have to bring something different to the conversation to draw someone in to what you want to talk to them about. So that is what my private industry uh, experience has taught me as well as running my own um, communications shop. Well, Dana W. White, thank you so much for joining us here on Smart Women, Smart Power. And thanks to all of you for listening. Um, my uh, Twitter handle is at Beverly Kirk. We're at Smart Women. And you can follow Dana at Chief Pent Spokes. And I'll spell that for you again. C-H-I-E-F-P-E-N-T-S-P-O-X. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you for listening. For more information, go to CSIS.org and subscribe to our podcasts.